On this episode of Tips from the Pros, I brought on Seth Teal, broker and owner of Somos Real Estate. It's a realty company here in San Antonio. They're crushing it. They're killing it. He's also a real estate investor in the new build space and has joined one of San Antonio's boards to be able to understand the new build process better, work with the city better. So we cover all of that, how to work with the city, how to work with the city as far as permits. You know, when you're doing renovations, new construction, everything going on with that, he gave some amazing tips on how to avoid major issues when you have a lot or something that you need. To. And we covered also a lot of good tips on the real estate market, where he sees it going, what he's doing to prepare for it, all these things and more on this week's episode. Let's go. So the question is always the same. How do I get into real estate investing if I have no money? How do I find deals? How do I negotiate deals? How do I find contractors and manage rehabs? How do I get the money to even buy these houses, to hold these houses? How does a rental work? How do you manage a rental? How do you manage tenants? How do you borrow money? How do you borrow money with almost no interest? How are all these things done and how are they done the right way? Well, I am John Barbera, and this is an investor's journey where we share with you how to invest in real estate the right way and how to get into it with no money, how to do this with real tactics that are working today in the market that we're in right now with things that we are personally doing. So welcome to the show. Mr. Seth Teal, welcome back to the show. You're actually our first returning guest. All right. Yeah. So... um what have you been up to? I want to know, since we last spoke, we talked about your company, Somos Real Estate. How has this whole thing since last year, the pandemic, everything affected your company? How, have, how has Somos Real Estate evolved and matured through there? Yeah. So, I mean, we saw, we didn't know what to expect when the pandemic started, you know, and, and this business with, uh, you know, contract workers or 1099. Uh, lends itself to people working from home or working from their home office. So that transition wasn't bad. I mean, we, we still have a bricks and mortar place, um, but we don't have a dedicated desk for everyone. Now you can hotel there. You can schedule a, you know, um, a, an office meeting there, or you, or you can come in and just use a desk if you need to. But we don't have dedicated desks any longer. You know, people were feeling more comfortable working from home. Uh, some people chose not to work because they, they needed to have childcare. Um, and so... While we were seeing that, uh, you know, we also we had uh, picked up quite a bit of property before the pandemic um, with the intention either to, to renovate or and resell or just resell to other investors. And that kind of slowed as some of the agents started working as well. So we decided to go ahead and switch up the business model uh, just to a flat fee brokerage. Okay. So we've uh, no longer, you know, is it the 70, 30, 80, 20 split like you see at a traditional brokerage? We just do, uh, it's $500 commission, flat fee commission goes to the brokerage, everything else goes to the agent. And so our, our goal in that has been to uh, kind of staff up on agents mm -hmm. and let them work whether full-time or part-time, not necessarily rely on a handful of good agents that, you know, all of a sudden if they do stop working or something like that, where you're seeing the brokerage income come down and you're seeing your volumes go down, uh, you know, this we're kind of going with more of a, a shotgun approach and offering kind of a, a hybrid model to, to what, um, what we typically call a ghost broker, which would, you know, be somebody that, Hey, you just hang your license. You never see him. There's no support. You know, in our case, I brought on uh, Dustin O'Neill, uh, as a, as a co-broker and co-owner of the business. And so now we've got two brokers operating at the helm. 
uh, running everything. Uh, we've got the bricks and mortar office. You know, we, we have uh, very targeted marketing and branding. And so we offer a little bit more than, say, what some of the other uh, hang your license brokerages offer. Right, so, right. So, I mean, that sounds amazing. And, and I'm seeing that more and more, especially during the shift that real estate has taken. So when you're talking about you're doing a flat fee, uh, what kind of support can somebody that's looking to sign on to Somos can expect from you guys? Yeah. So the nice thing is, again, we have two full-time brokers. So if one of us doesn't answer, you can always call the other one. If one of us is out of town, there's always somebody at the helm. Um, I think that's that's really important. Uh, I found myself being stretched a little thin as a sole broker, you know, sometimes, especially towards the end of the month, if there were issues popping up with our agents, things being able to get back to everybody in an extremely timely manner. Um, so this allows us to do that. You know, ultimately, it, it is important, I think, to have a, a bricks and mortar and have a, have a, a spot of some sort that you claim is yours to establish yourself, whether it be in a specific neighborhood or just in the city in general. Um, you know, so we, we do have that option. We, uh, as things starts to progress, we'll go back to start doing our, our, uh, monthly meetups, um, that we've always yes. done, which are, you know, been more happy hour networking yes. focused, but, uh, there's been millions of dollars of deals that have transacted over the years through, through that meetup. Oh, they're, they're honestly, they're the best type of networking. I always tell people, you know, everybody goes to Ria's cause it's what's known. Mm -hmm. But I said, like, if you really want to know the people and connect, you got to go to these happy hour yeah. ones. Well, everybody gets a couple of drinks in. And even yes. if you're not a drinker, you know, if the, the vibe kind of yes. changes. Everybody loosens up a little mm -hmm. bit. And the next thing you know, you're talking to somebody who's a millionaire and they've got money in their IRA that they want to help you with. And you're going, man, I've been going to these RIAs and reading these books and doing all this yeah. stuff. And I haven't connected with anybody. And I, I stop in. You know, and I'm a wallflower and somebody comes and starts talking to me. And the next thing you know, we're doing business together. It's amazing. I, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I'm, I'm looking forward to events coming back. But those kind of events, I mean, as I'm sure, you know, a new Rio opened up in town and it's just the same crap as always. Right. It's just guru education, you know, and all this. But the power of anything in real estate comes from networking and happy hours. Like you said, people loosen up. It's the best way to go. Uh, what type of. So you, when I knew you, you were you were also a real estate agent, but you were focused on the real estate investing side. So, right. what kind of uh, agents are you looking? Are you looking for the traditional, or are you looking for that kind of hybrid agent? So uh, actually, we it, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, we you know anybody that's strictly investment, hundred percent fine. Anybody that's strictly retail, hundred percent fine. Those that dabble in both sides, or those that maybe want to learn a little bit more about uh, the investment side, are you know certainly welcome. Uh, because we do have that that skill set, whether it's on the retail side or on the investment side, um, we have dabbled in some small commercials. So we have some agents that have done some small commercial leasing. We've bought and sold a few small commercial properties, um, you know. But then we're also looking for agents that are, that maybe they are uh, doing part time childcare and part time working. That this is a perfect business model for them because they work when they want to and right. don't work when they want to. Alternatively, full-time agents are now taking home way more money than they were without all the extra fees and things like that that you have at, say, a larger branded brokerage or something yeah. like that. Um, and, I, and I think that sets us apart because we have very solid branding, and uh, that helps hold our spot in the market. And we're still a small brokerage. You know, We're at 13 agents right now. You know, our goal is to at least triple that before the end of the year. Wow. Wow. Even 13 agents. That's still a great growth. It almost doubles. Yeah, year, so. that, that's amazing. Um, so how important is your brand then? You're saying how, you know, your your brand is keeping your spot in the market. So how important is your brand as far as it bringing 
it, does it bring credibility business to your agents? Like, what do you feel? I think so. Uh, you know, I think a, a lot of people, you see some of the other brokerages and it's, it's the same business model, the same marketing, same everything, no matter which city in the country you're in. You know, whereas here we've tried to really tailor it to San Antonio, what's important to the metro area, what's important to the people. Um, you know, we, our agents uh, live all over the city. So we're very good knowledge of, of everywhere in the city. And then the branding that we do have is pretty, I won't say iconic, but it's recognizable and it's repeatable. And so, you know, as we get more and more agents in, there's going to be more and more signage out, more and more marketing. And it's, you know, we're not looking to become a household name. We're, we're looking to, to be the people you go to when you know you want to get business done. Nice. I like that. When you know you want to get business done. Very good. Last we spoke, you were getting into, you had already done a few new builds. You were getting into more into the new build space. How has that evolved over this time in, in taking into consideration now the rise in lumber prices, the shortage in labor and all of that? Like, how's that affected you? So, I mean, we, we had one that, that started pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, we've got everything stick framed up, started siding, and then the pandemic hit and that lumber price spiked. And although our package, our lumber package had already been paid for, 99% of the lumber on, on the job, it was done. Uh, our contractor tried to hit us with a 50 plus thousand dollar uh, change order saying, hey, it's the materials cost. That accounted for 26% of our budget. He could not show, you know, based on his purchases of the materials that, so we actually had to, t had to terminate him. Thus, the, the onus of the project fell on me. So <laughs> I've been running that, which has been not easy because running the brokerage as well as trying to run another flip project I have and a new construction project that I'm now project managing um, has become tough. But I've learned a lot, especially as the city right at the beginning of the pandemic trans, uh, transitioned into a new online system for the permitting. Yes. And so far, it has been an absolute nightmare. And because they haven't had in-house staff, you know, there at, at DSD, it's virtually been impossible to navigate this new structure. Um, I mean, at all. So without assistance, I, I'm, I was at the city yesterday. They said that they're going to start having more people back in the building, having more resources because it's been a year of this debacle with this, this new permitting system. And I still can't do anything online. I still have to call in my inspections. I still have to go down there to pull permits. And so it's actually been more cumbersome because they're less staffed and it's di more difficult to get into the well, lobby and stuff. And, and even for us, they still are pushing you online first. And it's yeah. like, I've already been online and yeah. I can't get through anything. Exactly. It's the it's, usability is terrible. It's not very user-friendly. And then there's, there's maybe one video out there that kind of shows you how to <laughs> register the account, but not how to navigate something that's more complicated than that. So I'm really hoping that the city's going to offer in-person classes or at least some online classes and which i know they have done previously mm -hmm. but it, it needs to be readily available so that yeah. you know you're not sitting there at your computer thinking you're saving time and end up being perplexed angry and then still having to go down to dsd yeah or, or even not knowing what to do after that i mean because you yourself i mean you have a problem and you're like all right uh, let me just go to the city let me just so I got to speak to somebody, right? right? But there's so many people that are like, well, I'm following the process and they're just waiting, right? They're waiting for that. It's like, no, you got to you gotta yeah. be more active. Well, on the top of that, we see even if you do go down to, to the DSD offices, um, sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. And so you may take in something that you think is easy and you get a permit approved and then you start working on your project, you get a stop work order because your addition to your home is now in a 20 foot setback that the person in permitting didn't catch. Yep. 
you know, and most most projects don't have to go through plan review unless there's a second story or there's going to be major structural changes. So just in addition to the house, wouldn't require going through plan review, which would catch that. Yeah. But the people there at the at at the spot should be able to catch and know, hey, you've got a twenty foot platted setback here. You can't move and you know encroach into that without getting a variance. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, personally, like we've been dealing with some issues right now, and it's it's been the the same thing I've said countless times. It's like we as investors and builders, the good ones, I would assume, is we're not trying to cut corners or get anything over on you guys. We're just trying to understand what is the right process so we can follow it, right? And it gets very frustrating when you present everything to the people that you're supposed to. They tell you you're good to go. And when you start putting real money in, they're like, oh, no, that's no longer good. You got to change this. And it's like, guys, this is real money. Yeah. Well, and we, I mean, we've seen some things that haven't been caught come through the Board of Adjustment where, you know, when, when something like that happens where I feel that there's been an error on the, on the city side uh, somewhere, you know, I, I typically am going to side with the side of the homeowner. They did their due diligence. They did the right thing. They were approved for something. Right. Um, but what we have seen, you know, it's my one vote and everyone else's vote count as well when we're on that board. Um, we'll see sometimes that they, they have to either trunket their project or move it back in or, or tear down a portion of it. And, you know, to me, that's a liability on the city because if that happens, then then I would probably, you know, seek legal counsel and say, you guys approved everything. We did everything by the book. And right. now you're saying we didn't. And now it's costing me even more money and I'm not getting the project I wanted. Um, so I, I think there needs to be some level of consistency through the city. And I, I know they're trying to improve it through their note system and the back end of the permitting and stuff. Um, it's just not there yet. No, I mean, even the online part is in, and they got to update. All, they have way too much work to do and not enough people there. Now, you just talked about, and I wanted to ask you, you joined a board, a part of this. What board is this? So um, I'm on, uh, the full name is the Zoning Board of Adjustment uh, uh -huh. for the city of San Antonio. There are, I believe, over 200 boards and commissions. Uh, this one is a, um, a board that I've sat on. Um, In San Antonio, over 200 boards and commissions? Correct. Just Yeah, just the city of San Antonio, not Greater Bear County even. Holy crap. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of, of, of very niche things, and some of them are ad hoc committees and things like that. Um, but a lot of people don't know about it. And there's, there's always rolling applications going online. Um, some of the best ways to do it, I mean, you can look up those, what's available um, on each individual board or commission, but then also reaching out to your council person mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times they have uh, difficulty staffing those positions. So for the last two and a half years or three years, I have been representing District 6 on the Board of Adjustment, even though I live in District 1. And it was because they had somebody vacate the position a few years ago, and I was filling in as an interim for him. And uh, they have not had interest in that position since. And even though we've actually gone through, I think we're, I'm on the third council person in that district. Um, you know, they've they've all voted to retain me. Uh, you know, since they've had no interest in, in in somebody that lives in the district. Yeah, and and why why did you join? You know what? Uh, so like my wife volunteers for Big Brothers Big Sisters. Okay. You know, that's that's not my style of volunteering, right. but I feel like in any industry, you need to give back on what you're good at. You know, my master's degree is in urban planning. I'm very familiar with the different neighborhoods and areas of the city, very familiar with, with zoning and, and coding and platting and things of that nature. So I thought, you know, this would be a good, good fit for me to both represent the community and represent uh, the professional side of the business in, in this way.
Right. And how has this helped you if in any way when you are doing your own projects? Like having the, I guess, call it more insider knowledge of how the well, I, I see so many things that come through where people didn't think they needed to get a permit or right. they pulled a permit and then they that's all they did. They're like, well, I got that. I'm good to go. And so you see kind of the back end, what, what tends to happen. Their project gets hung up. They may have to tear something down or they may have to change the materials or go through fire ratings, things like that. So for me, you know, I know what I need to do on my projects or I know maybe a little extra, hey, when I'm getting my uh, permit approved, will you double check that setback on this side, this side, and this side and see, hey, do we, you know, is, is there an issue here? Um, I'm also pretty quick to tell my colleagues and clients and, and friends, all right, great idea, but I can tell you right now, this, this, and this doesn't work. You need to talk to somebody at city planning or you need to talk to somebody at permitting. Right. You need to go down there because just winging it and, and you know, just because you got that permit doesn't mean that everything's going to be great. Now, that's even that's almost a little scary to hear because you think you're following the right process and you can still get hit very hard by, you know, uh, something down the line. So is there a kind of like, I don't know if to call it a checklist or or maybe something that you can say, hey, even though this part of the city is saying, yes, you want to make sure if you're doing a new build, you're checking this part and this part. Right. Well, so, and the big, big thing for me, what I'm most familiar with is, is working in the context of historic districts, mm -hmm. you know, on top of permitting. So just because you get something approved through the office of historic preservation and the historic design review committee, uh, doesn't mean that that will a hundred percent make it through permitting. So they may approve something that's into a setback, but then your next step when you go to permitting is for them to tell you, hey, this might be in the setback. It's time to get a variance. Sometimes those two entities don't connect together mm -hmm. because the, the permitting side doesn't see anything until after it's approved by, by HDRC. And so it, it does make it difficult. It would be nice that if, if something did have a, a certificate of appropriateness through the HDRC, that automatically all those documents were, were uploaded in their backend system so that right. when you are going to... Uh, pull your permit, they can see, okay, hey, this works, this doesn't work, this might need to be changed. You may need to meet with a senior planner or senior a reviewer right. and, and go over, hey, what are your options here? Because yeah. you don't always have to get a variance. Sometimes there are, there are code hacks and workarounds and things where you're meeting the intent of the code without following the exact letter of it. And that's where it's really important to, to have the confidence to go down to DSD and say, hey, I need to talk to somebody. Hey, podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you want to get very exclusive insider tips and strategies that nobody else is getting, then you need to join our text community by texting podcast to 210-794-9898. That's 210-794-9898. Text the word podcast and you will start receiving insider information Things that are happening that we're realizing that we're implementing in real time that other people have no access to. So make sure you text us now. Now back to this show. To Okay. So you got to talk. So I'm trying to figure out like you have somebody that's starting to build houses mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't know what the actual process is. So 
should they even buy the lot before doing a certain amount of work? So uh, we've gotten to the point now where I either reach out to a land entitlement specialist or civil engineer prior to us buying a lot um, mm. to make sure that what we want to do on the lot, you know, or, or within a range it is possible. It's totally worth paying a professional an hour of their time, not end up making 50, 75 or $100,000 mistake on buying a piece of land you can't develop. So they know pretty much the ins and outs. So the civil engineer and land developers, or excuse me, land entitlement uh, specialists that, yeah. that work this kind of stuff, they they know the ins and outs of it. They know the code better than than the folks, at the oh, head planners okay. at the city, um, and they also know the workarounds because they they've done it for multi million dollar corporations and they've done it for mom and pop organizations. You know, so it they've most of the ones that I've worked with have had a real breadth of knowledge, and in five minutes, you know, they operate genius level. They're you could do this, this, and this. This is your issues here, here, and here. And I'm like, thank you, because I, I can pay you for an hour of your time and get that done, or I can go waste two hours of my time in the city and still not have a, a great answer. Yeah. So if you come in with more knowledge up front, it's a lot easier to get, you can find you know more succinct questions and get better answers and things when you, when you go down the city. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was definitely one of the problems that we face is that we borrow money, right, to do the construction, do everything that we do. So... When we get these delay, delays, it's not what we got to pay the city that matters is the delays that matter, right? Because we're paying on that money. Right. And then our now we got to push our contractors and, and then they go get other jobs and now trying to get them back to the project. So it's like all of those delays, what they don't understand, it's like, yeah, it might be a $600 filing fee at the city, but now it costs me 10 grand between money costs and the contractors and everything. Well, and, and you asked if there's a checklist. So there is a document um, on the city website that d details the inspections that you're supposed to get. What it doesn't detail is what level of completion you need to be at for each one of those inspections. Mm. Um, and, and so like a framing inspection on our most recent new construction, you know, I, I know that there has to be fire blocking, you know, so I went through, we did all the fire blocking, we did all the fire caulking and foam and come in and here, interestingly, I've never had this happen in any of my projects. The framing inspector comes in and goes, there's no handrail on that staircase. I can't inspect this property. And I said, I, you know, every two-story home I've ever built doesn't put in a, a, a handrail before, it, you know, it's, it's yeah. time for completion. Uh, I ended up having to get in contact with the supervisor. Supervisor has sent him back out. But then he failed me for all this fire blocking that my, my guy, uh, my carpenter, was saying, well, it doesn't make sense to block there. The entire, par entire portion of this here is to vent out. Uh, why would you want to fire block it and stop the airflow there? Now we're going to have to put extra venting up top in order for this to, to be feasible. So, and, and, and I typically know where most fire blocking goes, but there are minutia in the code that, yes. you know, we, we had a, a, a boxed out channel run for uh, some HVAC duct work and we had to have a, a, a thermal break every five feet in that boxed out section of duct work. I've never had to do that before. So we're cutting plywood around then fire caulking it all sealing it in so that the fire can't move at it every five feet or so and, and it, wow. i understand it's for safety reasons but there's also a level of overkill when you're when you're sheetrocking it in and it's not a vertical chase of any kind yeah so it's uh it you're i'm learning something new each time i go for permitting and it seems like i fail everything always <laughs> well the thing is like is it 
doesn't it seem like it's open to interpretation of the inspector that goes? It is. And and there are some inspectors that are excellent and work with you and go, okay, here, there's one spot that needs fire blocking. I'm not going to fail you over that. Get a fire block. Text me a picture. I'm going to go ahead and pass this. And there are others that will come in and go, I'm not walking up those stairs. You know? And so it's... Uh, it, it, it's hit or miss, and you try to build rapport with, with some of these guys that you see regularly. Yeah. I, I know recently the city did send out an email um, saying plumbing and electrical inspections are going to be delayed because they were on a year hiring freeze because of the pandemic, and they actually had, they lost some folks uh, uh, that quit, you know, that were inspectors. So now they're, they're short-staffed, and they're trying to ramp back up staffing in general. And of course, building hasn't stopped at all. Even with the, all these price increases, people are just, they're, they're wanting to get their money out there and working. And so it, it's, it's not getting any easier for people to develop, which is driving costs up, Yes, which kind of defeats what the city's goal is to have affordable housing. So, well, I mean, it's one of those things that even when they, they put these, ascend, uh, these plans in place, even though it sounds great in theory, I think it's being executed by the wrong people sometimes because it's like, you're you're creating the laws and the regulations, but you're not understanding the actual process from somebody that actually does it. That's telling you like, hey, you know, you're all you're doing here is hurting people. And uh, I was reading an article that we talked about how uh, regulations and costs just from the city and everything amounted to almost a quarter of the price of the the final price of the home. And I was like, that's just it's yeah. beyond insane. It it. I feel like it's been tough. You know, we've we've pushed off a couple projects mm. uh, or sold them to other investors because I knew it was going to be lumber intensive, you know, and I'm like, well, do I sell this and make the fast buck or do I, I sit on this and, and figure out if it's a money pit and if the home's going to appreciate to where we need it to to make our margins? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and this time where I'm a little concerned about the market making a correction, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a little more liquid. Okay, you want to break that down a little bit? Like, what do you feel? All right, so here, here we're seeing, uh, let's say the the average sales price I think released today was what three over three fifty, maybe mm-hmm. three sixty five or something like that. The average meet or the median income here is forty six thousand dollars or plus or minus. Yes. So somebody making forty six thousand dollars a year cannot afford a three hundred sixty five thousand dollars house. Two incomes at forty thousand dollars, it's still a stretch. You're still looking at almost thirty percent of your take home pay going toward uh, your housing, and so we also have more than fifty percent of San Antonio residents rent. Mm-hmm. So you've got this huge market inflation, both on retail properties and on on uh, investment rental properties, and you're seeing investors buy properties at at less than one percent return. Uh, you know, for, yeah. for, or no a negative cash flow, uh, things like that, banking on appreciation, but also trying to raise rents in order to make some cash flow. And the people at the bottom end that are that are renting or trying to buy houses sub three hundred thousand, things like that, they aren't getting paid anymore. So eventually, there's just going to be a, a total spatial mismatch and disconnect between what San Antonio incomes can can afford and and what housing can sell for. And so I'm a little concerned about that uh, on both levels, on both the retail sales level and on, on the rent level, because at some point the rents stagnate 
And some of these folks that have bought in recent months may be underwater, uh, you know, on properties that will never appreciate to where they need it to be. They may have bought it at the top of the market. Or overpaid. I mean, how many houses Indeed. are we seeing that, you know, they're, the comps justify, let's say, 220 and they're paying 245 for it? Right, exactly. And then and they're coming out their pocket to cash if it doesn't appraise right, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, hey, if you want a house and it's going to be your personal home, sometimes having less equity is fine. When you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, yeah. you know, Starting, starting in the red is not good, you know? No, well, exactly, because now you not only need it to appreciate just to catch up now, you know, I mean, right. just to be able to catch up to what you paid for it. So, I mean, yeah, you're starting severely underwater, and now you're hoping for appreciation, and that's just to catch up. And then if you need it to sell, you're underwater anyway, because between fees and closing right. and everything, you're going to sell at a discount. And, and the only way that I'd advocate for that sort of thing working is if you do some house hacking. You know, mm. I, I live many, many years in duplexes or, or fourplex, things of that nature, where I, I owned the property, lived in one or two units, and then rented out the rest. Right. And that's one of those things where you can go, okay, I don't necessarily need to ca- cash flow because my note is being paid 75% by these folks. So I've, right. got, I've got a low monthly outgo while my property is still appreciating. But if it's just a single family home that you're leasing to somebody or that's going to be your personal house, you've got to look at that nexus hey, is this going to be a smart investment? Yeah, and I'm, I'm even seeing people right now that they're doing that same buying, paying over value because they, they think they're going to keep it as an Airbnb and it's going to be profitable. And I'm like, it's not. And, yeah. you, you know, and you're over leveraged already. Well, or, I mean, we had that huge influx of, of folks doing Airbnbs and then you see the pandemic hit, which no one could could even assume would happen. But, I mean, I feel like there's, 50% of the Airbnbs there were beforehand, or at least the people that are vocal on the, on the, the chat boards and things like that. Um, and, you know, so that's a business model that needs to be a little more nimble. You know, did you buy at a right price to where you can still cash flow it uh, if, if you've got to go to a long-term renter? Yeah. Otherwise, are you sitting with what you thought was an asset that's not a liability? Well, that, that's also what I've been seeing in the, in the real estate market too. And it's gotten severely worse during this market that everything is going up is that, the Airbnb market got hot, kind of like Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. That people did not understand it, did not know about it, but they all wanted Airbnbs. And it's like, you still need to understand real estate, period, right. because the house still needs to make sense as an investment. Then if you can do an Airbnb, that's just icing on the cake, right? Now you're making so much more. But like you said, in case something happens, could you rent it out to a long term? Could you even sell it and just back, you know, get your money back pretty much? But so many people speculated in that space. And, and right now I see like it's just getting severely worse. And even in just a regular real estate investment space, do you see that with your buyers? Yeah. I mean, we, so we still have a lot of out-of-state buyers. Mm-hmm. The problem is I would say most of them are, are new to the industry, overeducated, wealthy, six-figure incomes, um, but they're newer to real estate investing. And so all they want to talk about is the Burr strategy. Uh. And, and then they've read that San Antonio is a great market. And what hasn't caught up is the data on where we actually are and what cash flows here and what's not. So you have right. these folks asking for unrealistic parameters and just going, well, everyone said that's what I can get. And then they literally, they get upset when you're not providing that to them continually. And I'm like, I'm the market professional. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, this isn't happening. And there's always a story or anecdote about my buddy, he got this and he's cash flowing 400 bucks a month. And uh, that's the exception, not the rule. Yes. And so acquisitions, especially on the, on the rental side right now, you know, they need to be looked at it. 
pass on 20, you know, before right. you buy one, buy the right one. Well, I, I speak to, so I don't represent buyers because of that. Like we just don't have the staff or the infrastructure for buyers, but I get sometimes a lot of people that ask me, Hey, especially from out of state, I want to buy houses in San Antonio. I already know. I'm like, because it's so cheap. I right. gotcha. And you're going to get 2%, you know, yeah. from, uh, on rent and everything. Yep. And I tell them, I'm like, look, I'm just going to tell you I'm a full-time real estate investor and these are the returns that I get. Right. I, I don't get 2%. Right. Right. I'll be happy if I can hit 1% every now and then, but I'm in it full-time. I'm buying very distressed homes. I'm putting in a lot of work into them. I'm building up equity. I'm right. marketing consistently. Like, you want to just step in and get that just because you're you? Like, I mean, yeah. look, I want you to see the amount of work I'm putting in. Yeah. And I've yet, I've just crossed over 12 properties now, right? But it's been years of getting that. Like, yeah. And I'm sure in the in between, you flipped a bunch and yeah. you sold off ones that weren't producing. And, and there's ones that were probably duds. And yep. it, it's not all wins. And people see that they see that on Facebook and social media. Oh, big checks and cash flow and all yeah. this. And I'm like, man, the back end of my life doesn't look like that. No. It is up, down, left, right, over, backward, forward, you know, every mistake I could make. Yeah. yeah. And, and I like, <laughs> I like you sharing that because that's the whole point of even the whole podcast is showing the truth about real estate. You know, the true side of real estate investing. I love real estate investing. I love the versatility of this, uh, of investing. You can jump pretty much into so many different areas of real estate. You know, I, I love those options, but it needs to be taken serious, right? Just like anything else, you, I, 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 it gets kind of frustrating and annoying where everybody looks at real estate like a hobby, a part-time thing. And it's like, it's just like any other career. You got to get educated. You got to invest time. You got to invest money. Like it, it's not, you shouldn't yeah. take it so lightly. And I think a lot of people watch the TV shows and yeah. they think that's the level of education you need to, in order to do it. And it's really oversimplified. Oh, tremendously. And, and, and there's, you know, a ton of ways that I learned to, to invest in real estate after I'd already started investing in real estate. Right. You know? and, and so you, you can dial in a niche and things that, that definitely require education. Sometimes it requires uh, you know, a level of intelligence that that might be beyond your peers, depending upon how complicated note buying and things like that. Yeah. Um. You know, and and, and levels of passivity. Uh. So it yeah, it's definitely not just a, all right. Hey, I've got some cash. I'm gonna do this. Yeah. It, it requires a little more. So it's good to hear that you guys take the time to also educate your buyers, kind of give them at least expectation. We try. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, yeah. Levels of expectation are the greatest thing that we can set with our clients. And and that's <laughs> one of the things I talked about uh, is how you how to work with other agents, right? Because one of the biggest struggle that we have as investors is when we list a property or something, and you get a very novice agent step in. And they end up screwing up the deal because they never told their buyers that San Antonio tends to have foundation issues, right? Like, I mean, they didn't tell them so many of these things and set expectations that when they come see your house, you know, and then, oh, yeah, I love it. Put it on the contract. And then you send them the reports and or they start looking at the reports. They're like, oh, I had foundation issues? Oh, no, I don't want a house with foundation issues. Yeah. It's like, well, then get out of Texas. I don't yeah, know what yeah, to tell es you. Especially transplants. They're what foundation issues, no yeah. basements, what's pier and beam, you know, yeah. and it's like, all right, I get it, but this is how this market exists. Yes. And just because your house may have shifted doesn't mean it's structurally unsound mm. first and foremost. And two, if you're going to buy a hundred year old home, there's going to be some movement, you know, yeah. and, and oftentimes the ones built in seventies and eighties and whatnot, they weren't using the best business practices as far as foundations. And so they can have trouble 
as well. Yeah. Uh, and so right now you mentioned a hundred year old homes and that's when I met you, you were, you know, you were doing all of the properties like in Lavaca and those areas. More Can't historic. afford it anymore. No, I, I'd imagine. <laughs> um, but how, where are you investing now? Where are you looking for? You know what? I, I still, my personal stuff or mm -hmm. what I target is going to typically be inside of 410 or just outside of 410. Um, that's the areas I like. I don't like driving too far if uh, I don't have to. Um, I've realized that time and time again, every time I buy a property way further than I'd like. Okay. And um, and so the, whether it's a project or, or an investment or something, it, it ends up taking be a little longer to get done because I'm like, well, I've now I've got to schedule myself to go to Spring Branch or schedule myself to go to New mm -hmm. Braunfels, which shouldn't seem like much. It's just a 35 mile drive. But man, when you concentrate so much of your life in a small area, you're like that's a that's a big deal for me to get out because you're you're yeah. just in driving, you're looking at an hour plus whatever you had to do there, so make it two. And if anything goes wrong in the interim, you're at two and a half to three hours. And yep. it's funny because uh, when I lived in New York, I've worked in construction, and every job we did was at least forty five minute drive away. I mean, every job, you know, any house that we renovated, whatever, is at least forty five minutes away. And here, I got so used to everything being so close to where I live or living close to where I do business. That now it's like when I got to drive 20 minutes, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to be able to make the time, when yeah. I'm going to get there. And it's, you know, and yeah. I used to do round trips of like hour and a half. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, mean I used to have a commute at different jobs, you know, yeah. or I used to take when I lived in St. Louis, <laughs> ride the bike to the train, take the train to, and then walk to work. Yeah. You know, and that was 45 minutes to an hour. Now I'm like, I live one mile from my office, you know, I've. <laughs> I can get there in six minutes if I have to, if there's traffic eight, you know? Yeah. You're like, <laughs> so, oh, there's traffic yeah, right now. I, I'll wait. If I, I mean, there's been times where I've, I've dropped my car off to have some work done and I'll just walk home from the office, you know? Yeah. So I've, I've, I've created this little micro community for myself. And then you, you kind of don't get out of that bubble. Um, but that, I mean, that's where I'm investing personally. We, yeah. We're still buying and sourcing stuff for, for investor clients all over, you know? Um, my, my business partner, Dustin, is a lot more versed in, in the suburbs here than I am. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's good to have that dichotomy of our relationship because I really know the central city and he really knows a lot of these north central, northwest, you know, northeast side homes and the neighborhoods because that was the time in my life I didn't spend here. You know, mm. I, I was going yeah. for like 20 years and then came back and now I'm still still learning some of those little niches. Yeah. So you you talked about your business partner. How did you guys come together? Uh you obviously the need for a business partner was you have the brokerage, you need help. It's you're trying to grow. You're going to need help. But how was it that you chose Dustin and how was it that like you guys, you know, how did that come together? Yeah. So, well, when I moved here and got my license, um, you know, we worked at the same brokerage and uh, Dustin kind of really took me in under my wing. I was not doing well. I did really well selling real estate. I got my license. I sold three houses, investment properties this, the next week after I got my license. Nice. Then I did nothing for three months. It wasn't like I wasn't working, but nothing was working in order to get me clients or to get me sales or anything like that. And I was like, you know what? I've got degrees. I, I, I'm marketable. Maybe I'll just go bartend on the Riverwalk or something. You know, I, I was really considering maybe this wasn't a full-time career for me. And he really pushed me uh, to stick it out. And it was literally that next week I started selling property, like ringing a bell again. And it just kind of, after that snowballed and we became really good friends. Uh, when I started the brokerage, I actually asked if he wanted to start it with me mm. and he had accepted a broker, uh, broker position at a different firm at the time. And, um, that has since ended and he went and started doing some investment stuff. And 
we're sitting on my porch one day and he's kind of like, you know, Hey, I, I miss managing people and, and, and working with folks. Like, you know, I said, right, do you want to get the band back together? And he's like, yeah. And so we okay. just kind of took it from there. I mean, obviously we had to go heads through some of the legal issues and things like that. Right. Um, in fact, we're, I mean, we're still hashing some of that stuff out, but ultimately, you know, it, it's already been great for me. got to take first vacation and not work, wow. <laughs> you know, like ever. Or yeah. Just completely unplug. Yeah. Tw- I spent 20 minutes working in, in a six day trip. So, wow. so that was phenomenal. You know, yeah, that, that was a big alleviation for me. And ultimately what it boiled down to was I bit off more than I can chew. I was building homes, renovating homes, working as a buyer's and seller's agent, running a brokerage, both, both from a management standpoint and from a back end, you know, paperwork standpoint. And I started letting some of, you know, some of the, uh, the, the hats fall, you know, that this thing started hitting the ground where I was like, well, shoot, now I'm, I'm not necessarily upside down on this property, but I need to get out of it. You know, right. all of a sudden I started, my assets were turned into liabilities and I was like, all right, I've got to stop, reassess, make a change, figure out what that change is. And the logical progression for me was to, to reel back in, concentrate with one partner and we do everything together as opposed to me trying to do a thousand things or me relying on a bunch of other people, which is what I had done before. I was doing a thousand things, relying on 10 other people and 10 other people start becoming four other people. All of a sudden your workload goes up and what was working well no longer worked. Right, right. So now as a business owner, were you already in a position where you were generating enough revenue where you said, if I was to bring in a partner, I can still make what I need and bring in a partner or was it kind of like a leap of faith? So we switched the business model slightly. And uh, like I said, well, going to the to the flat fee. So that is what we're considering kind of the even out peaks and valleys. The more folks we staff up, the more often we'll generate income from that. Right. Uh, Dustin and I will be partnering exclusively on hotel deals, wholesale stuff, uh, investments that we want to do. And so we're hoping at least for the first year of our partnership, that's going to float our business, our income. And then everything else that goes through the brokerage is kind of, it's going to be our war chest. We're building up. I got and you. so like we just sold an investment property and made, made a good return on it. Right. Um, you know, so we'll pay each other X amount. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of that is just going to stay in the coffers. You know, we're trying to build up that war chest and then also grow the business at the same time. Okay. All right. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, getting back to the construction side and all of that. Um, how is it? So you had to fire a contractor and then become the GC of the project. What do you do to find contractors? What's, do you have a, like, do you have a recommendation or any, you know what, for me, it's mostly word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I've got a lot of contemporaries like you and it's like, well, all right, you guys gave me a great carpet guy. Yeah. I barely ever put carpet in homes. Most of what I do is older stuff. Right. I needed a carpet guy called you guys. You're like, he's done us well on five or six properties guy turned out to be great right i love when that happens yes yeah you know, but i'm at the point now even where i won't recommend contractors that i've used unless they've been amazing because they all have a shelf life yes you know it's like bread it literally you get two three good projects out of them and all of a sudden their grandmother dies for the third time you know or, or their kids homesick from daycare and all of a sudden the, the projects just start flowing every excuse in the book and, and so sourcing them is, is really just been word of mouth or I will go driving around and I see houses that are being renovated. Well, Mm. I will stop my car and go, who's in charge, you know, and say, look, I've 
Can I get a business card? Can can I get this? Right. Or and and sometimes people are extremely loyal to whoever they work for, and you know they'll tell you, hey, you got to contact this person. Fine, you know I, I've done that before. Called up either whoever the general contractor was, or called up the owner and said, hey, look, you mind if I get this guy's contact information? Something like that, right. because often it, it's become increasingly difficult to find good, reliable contractors. Mm -hmm. And even if you find someone that's good and reliable, should there be an issue and you find them again? Yes. You know, like basically I feel like I warranty all of the work that's done by other people, which mm. is a huge liability, but, but what are you going to do? I got, sometimes I get great work done at a good price and the guy's licensed and everything. But a year from now he's, you know, he's following the next trend. He, he's in El Paso working, or maybe he, you know, yeah. moved to, to Arizona. Yeah. And when the lawsuit comes, it's going to come to you, not to them. Right. And yeah. So, but that goes also goes back to the permitting. If you can make sure that you've got everything lined up on permitting, your liability is so much less. Right. So are you vetting, vetting them by checking with the city or something if I, they're I do, licensed? I do. And then I'm, I'm also licensed, you know, so mm -hmm. general, general permits I can pull. And then, you know, if the guys can do the work, you know, you, it does, you don't need to be a licensed contractor in order to, to be a carpenter. Right. However, you do need to have somebody that knows the, the, the code side of it all in order to make sure that things are done right. I know enough right. to be dangerous, but I usually hire a carpenter that knows the ins and outs of the code as well right. to make sure that everything is done right. Okay, so not for not necessarily for every trade. Are you worried about them being licensed? Yeah, I mean, you know? if it's a major trades, if it's uh, yeah. plumbing, HVAC, and electrical, um, you know, that's important. They'll be licensed through the state. Mm -hmm. um, so you can check that out. The, the big thing is what's really common here is a lot of them get to their uh, journeyman level and they will go off and start their own business, but they can't pull their own permits because they don't have their master tech license. Yes. So they typically operate under a master tech and then they're beholden to that. The big issue with that is should you have a problem come back and you go to your person, they can really just say, wasn't me. I, I'm not the, you know, I wasn't the general on this or, or I wasn't mm. the trade general on this. Um, and I've had that happen before where um, we had an electrician that was doing that under a master tech license and we had some major issues. And yeah. I called the master tech and said, look, I'm filing a complaint if you're not here in the 24 hours, you know, and, and he obviously was doing this for more electricians. That was his bread and butter. He made sure to take care of everything. It was no cost. And we decided to go our separate ways without any more animosity. But I mean, not always is that going to be the case. I've, I've had a master tech that, you know, shot $6,000 of my money up his arm, filed a complaint with the state, all the documentation, including text messaging, email, everything, and nothing from the state. They said that they, that they found nothing negligently wrong. Really? Correct. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, I was advised verbally that I should file in small claims court. And good luck. Yeah. My I just God. wanted his license gone. I, I knew I wasn't getting the money back. Well, I'm going to go ahead and edit that from the podcast because I don't want contractors knowing that. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, really? So they can't come after me? Um, and so it's very crucial to protect yourself as much as possible. So you're... The biggest problem I always see with investors and even just as early as like two weeks ago, I went to a project, same thing, is they hire a contractor. The contractor gets in too involved and now it's to a point where they're like, well, I can't fire them because I won't be able to finish it. Yeah, you get beholden. Yes. You know, basically they're going, oh yeah, well, I'll be there next week. And you've already, maybe you're a little bit ahead on payment or... 
you know, w- whatever reason, but it's like, all right, so I'm sitting here, my holding cost for two weeks is a thousand bucks. You know, he's not going to be back for, for uh, a week um, so, or for two weeks. So you've got that holding cost. Then you're like, well, if I hire somebody else and I need to get it done ASAP, then I'm probably going to pay more. So, I mean, I literally have looked at two bids for a carport and my business partner at the time sat on it for two weeks and the, and the $700 difference cost us $1,500. Yeah. And I, I said, never again, is this going to happen? If you like, you need to make a decision within 24 hours of us, uh, me presenting this to you, because we just sat and ate this in interest, which we get nothing out of, as opposed to engaging and moving forward. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've had a personal problem of uh, when we brought on a contractor, uh, like more of a GC, especially with the new builds, is that he wants, like, he doesn't like trades working at the same that's, time. Oh, that's very common. And it annoys the shit out of me because it's like, I'm, I'm all for not having contractors working on top of each other, right? You don't want the floor guy doing the floor while they're painting. Yeah. I get it. But when you're talking about somebody's painting inside and we want the roofer, yeah. right? It's like, guys, come on. Or doing the tiling yeah. in the bathroom when they're doing the floors downstairs. You know? Yeah. It's just those things that's like, come on. Yeah, they all want the good parking space. Yeah, yeah, and then it gets to a point where where contractors don't understand that your two weeks, or or they're maybe they're waiting for this uh, sub that's gonna charge them less, right? But that sub doesn't start for three weeks. It's like right. now what we are saving, waiting for that guy, we more than spent just on the delays. Right, it's right. Time value of money, you know, the burden of hand yes. versus two in the bush. Sometimes yes. you gotta buck up and pay a little bit more up front to get something going. Because you don't know how much money time is going to cost you mm-hmm. because that two week start time always gets pushed back because there's an issue at the project they were working on before. And although they were trying to do responsible scheduling, yeah. you know, it, it just happens. Yeah. Well, I mean, construction is not a lot of times it's, it's just it rains. Maybe they're doing outside work and now they can't work for a week or whatever it is. And it's like all those delays you can't anticipate. And what you thought was three weeks now took five. Now, five weeks of money costs like. You could have been hired the other guy, gotten a great job done and been done and moving on to the next thing. Right. So, I mean, it it sucks. But as far as you protecting yourself, what do you do? Do you like hire them by certain scopes? Do you? Uh, So we will when we we hire licensed contractors whenever possible. Mm -hmm. You know, not not everything needs to be a licensed contractor. You you know, I have on on bigger things. I will verify their uh, insurance. Um, we, we, not me personally, but I'm learning through a buddy's mistake that, uh, even had an insurance certificate, just never verified the insurance. And then they had a huge claim and it was a nightmare. Oh, so he gave him the insurance certificate, but it wasn't correct. It wasn't valid. Ah. He basically, you can get certificate and then you can cancel it the next day and you've got that sheet of paper. So do you ask, cause I've heard of, uh, other contract, um, other rehabbers and investors do this, that they get added to the contractor's policy uh, for that I, I've period. seen that. I, I have not done that. Yeah. And and I don't do this on every contractor. Certain ones, it's just not going to matter. There, there's not going to be any yes. warranty necessarily on what they're doing. But, you know, on some of the bigger things, it's definitely important to check the insurance. Uh, contracts are, are not terrible. I used to worry about them much more than anything. I try to make them as succinct as possible. You know, I, I usually let the, the contractor provide me a contract and the bid, and then I will redline it or mark through or make additions to it. 
sign it and send it back to him and say, I'll, I'm in agreement if you're in agreement with this. Right. You know, that that tends to help. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, setting levels of expectation. Hey, if you've got a hard money loan or your lender requires 48 hours for a draw, make them understand, hey, if you need to get paid on Friday, I need you to get me on Tuesday or Wednesday with this request or you know, hey, if you're you're shooting me an invoice on Friday, know that you're probably not going to get paid till Tuesday. You know, right, right. If, one, if you've got a working agreement with your folks like that, it makes it a lot easier. Um, you know, come come Friday or come payday, you know, they're not going. Hey, I need my check now. It's four thirty on Friday afternoon, and you're already at the bar having a drink. Yeah, because that definitely happens. <laughs> and yes, because a lot of them, they are working pretty much damn near paycheck to paycheck. And it's like Fridays, well, I got to pay my guys. Yeah. Well, you owe me money. And it's like, <laughs> you know, so do you put that in a contract that you both signed prior? I, I will either make note of it or, or directly in the contract, but more often than not, it's either via email or, or a text. I, I typically try to follow up with something written on right. what I find are important conversations. I'll be the first to tell you, I got sued one time. And mm -hmm. documentation is the key to making sure that you've got your ducks in a row yes. because anybody can sue you for anything at any time. And whether or not you did anything wrong or not, it doesn't mean that it's not going to cost you a ton of money and a ton of anxiety yeah. and a ton of time. You gotta defend. You still got to defend yourself. Well, I mean, I literally said, let's take this to trial. And my lawyer goes, you don't want to do that. I go, why? I'm going to win. He goes, you will win, but I'm going to charge you $30,000 to do it. He goes, so why don't you give me a number less than that to settle for? Uh Yeah. So I, that was how much does that suck? Cause you still got to pay. Oh, and it's I, like it, it, the, the entire lawsuit, oh. two and a half years cost me $30,000 that included $10,000 paying somebody to go away when you were in the right, no fault of my own. It gets That's documentation for everything. Uh, my God it, it's we've been through it too. That's why I get frustrated because it was just like, why do I have to pay you even though you're wrong? And I have all the proof here. Cause right. they're like, Oh, do you want to go to trial? Yeah, it's exactly. Like... Well, and, and so, you know, I lived in, in Missouri. Uh, if you bring a frivolous lawsuit like that to court and lose, you typically have to pay the other person's court costs and legal fees. If they would enact something like that here in Texas, that would stop a lot of these erroneous lawsuits. However, I assume that the, the lawyer lobby is saying, Hell no. <laughs> you know, like, well, then even then, like you're you're liable to pay. But what are the chances that you will you will or can? Well, yeah, uh, start, yeah exactly. To, you can't I squeeze mean, blood out of a turnip. A judgment's a judgment. <laughs> exactly. But I, in fact, I know people in town that are have a very prominent name in this industry or used to be. Yeah. That uh, they don't own anything. Yeah. So they've been sued multiple times by multiple people over the last 10 years. And since they don't own anything, there, there's, there's all these judgments, but nothing that can happen. For it. And because they, they work, can't touch them, and they work 1099, so there's no W two pay to be garnished. Well, you know how to work the system. Yeah, it's uh, a un unfortunate reality of, of folks out there. Yeah, sometimes I have that conversation. Is like instead of trying to come out with uh, uh, new policies and shit, can we like work on fixing the ones that are not working right yeah, now? Exactly. <laughs> instead or, of adding or, more to them, or enforcement. Yeah. You know what I mean? If if you've got these these laws and regulations set in place, and then uh, you know you're not enforcing it, well then what the hell's the point in having them in the first place? You know, I, I make a joke with John a lot. Is that it's so much easier to be a criminal because it seems like at times like you have so many things more in your favor and the other person has so much more to lose yeah. just to fight you. 
you know and it's like it's sad that that's the case in a lot of things we let somebody live at our uh property of ours for last year year plus no rent free we paid their utilities as well and it you know we couldn't evict them even though they had had a notice of vacate prior to the eviction moratorium and because but they you couldn't evict them because of the eviction moratorium correct because we didn't we didn't file it you know, we we put the notice to vacate, and then and that's when everything hit. They were on a month to month. They were already behind uh, four months, and yeah, and you the, can't let the water shut off or the electricity because no, then it's you correct. know it's dangerous. So, yeah, they were got free. Uh, well, and the worst was the the person who it was leased to moved out, got another apartment, and put her son and his new child in there. What am I supposed to do? Did they trash the house or did they at least they take care not, of it? I mean, we found being cordial was the best way to yeah, kind of deal with it. Yeah, at that point, what else you do? Well, you know, we just were cordial and we said, look, if you see any problems on the property, let us know. And and that was basically, all right, you get free rent for telling us if, what's going on in the property. Oh, my God. Oh, that must have been a nice... Uh... Oh, did, <laughs> I mean, you do a lot of rentals. I've slowly <laughs> gotten out of them. You know, uh, over the years, it's just, I, but I've always managed my own stuff. And I, and if I get back into it big time, I will not manage my own property. So right. I'll, I'll, I want it to be as passive as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I always tell people, I'm like, property manager is a great hire, but you still need to know what you're managing. Like you're talking from experience. So you can even value the property manager that much more. Oh, yeah. And we, even when you're hiring them, you're looking for these things because you're saying, you know, hey, I know if these problems arise, I want to know that you can handle them. Well, and I, I mean... Our brokerage doesn't do property management. It's yeah. a litigious field. It's very niche yeah. oriented. And although I have been a property manager since 2000, I I don't want to do it professionally or have my brokerage do it professionally. Um, and so we rely on, you know, great folks all around the city that do property management that I, you know, I've got targeted areas where I'll, I'll make suggestions for our clients, you know, when they do need the property. Management. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, how is it that you find your deal? I would say 80% of all my deals have come from word of mouth networking. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I know that's not the norm. Uh, that's how I, we operate. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Well, <laughs> well good. Cause people look at me and are like, it's not mailers or SEO or this yes. and that. I'm like, no, I literally have never met a stranger. And so I, I will talk to even people I don't like. And you yeah. know, eventually somebody knows somebody and I get a Facebook message or a phone call or something. Hey, I think you might be interested in this. You know, and and it it's just it's worked out. I mean, I think the last six investment properties I bought were just from they were all phone calls. You know, wow. uh, one was teed up for me by another wholesaler. It was a family member of theirs, and and they didn't want anything to do with it because there was a family estate. Right. He said, "Look, man, if you can take care of me here, or if you can't, it doesn't matter. But I'd rather you have the property because I know you'll close on it." And we've had a good working relationship seven eight years. This guy and I. He he got me for a sixty three thousand dollar assignment fee, and I didn't balk at it. Right when I saw it, and he goes, Are "You good?" I go, "Man, I'm great. I bought the house at what I said I wanted to pay for it, mm. you know, and I was still able to make money on it." Exactly. And after that, that guy has—I've been his first phone call anytime he picks up a, you know, property. And it's one of the things I stress out so much with people uh, that are getting started, especially wholesalers. I'm like, your your name is what's gonna keep you in business, right? You got to take care of that. You got to make sure you're always delivering as much as you can, always being honest. You know, don't don't do anything bad. Don't do anything shady. If you know it's a shitty deal, don't do it. 
right? Because everything comes back to you because then you build that reputation where it's the same thing for us that we just got a call from um, a local agent and she brought me a deal and it's a hell of a deal. And, I, and she knows other investors. Right. And I asked her the same thing. I was like, I'm just curious why you brought it to us. She says, because I know I can trust you guys. She says, I know you're not going to screw this, uh, the homeowners over and you're going to close on it if you say you're going to close. I was like, yeah. Yeah. That, and that matters. Uh, yeah, it, it does matter. And a lot of people, you know, I, I see these daisy chain contracts through oh my email God. and stuff yeah. like that and at 15 different prices and then they yeah. string them out. For, I'm like, how are you still marketing this six months later? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh, these poor homeowners. Uh, you know, and we try to get it knocked out quickly. I, I usually put the burden on me. I'm not going to try to wholesale a property necessarily, uh, well at all. You know, we typically will close it, clean it and turn it around. Right. But then that puts all the liability on me. I've got a property I've sat on for over a year. Everybody in the world thinks it's a pig. I think there's money in it. I just don't want to renovate it. Okay. You know, <laughs> so it's one of those like, all right, eventually I'm going to find the right, the person that has the right vision as well. Right. But I'd rather that liability come on me than you know, being passed on to the owner is just sitting there and waiting, going, well, eventually I think I'm going to sell it. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. It makes perfect sense. You're, you're taking full liability. If, if your play doesn't pan out, you're the one sitting on it. So, Correct. I mean, it makes sense. Now, as we start to wrap up, I wanted to ask you, what is something that you are working on yourself, let's say, to either be better at business, be better in your life, healthier? I mean, are, is there anything that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, it, so... Uh, just before the pandemic, I start. I've, I've I've been having some ongoing small health issues, and a doctor was like, "You know what? Losing thirty pounds would really help get your blood pressure down, get your cholesterol down, that sort of thing." So, as soon as the gyms opened up, I think it was last April, I just doubled down and started going five days a week. Oh, and um, I have you know ninety percent of the weeks I was five days a week. Ended up dropping a total of fifty pounds. Got all my my numbers in the right levels, and yeah. then now I'm. It's almost like an addiction. Like I schedule it because if I'm not, if I don't make it to the gym, like I get a little cranky, mm. you know. So that's been at least on the on the health side of things. As far as business development goes, you know, I, I've looked at different things of levels of education. One of the things that I, I think I've done most over the last year has probably been talk to people in completely different industries that run their own businesses. Uh, you know, you, you and I used to go to the, the founders club together yep. and, and I, I truly missed that. Yeah. And so, you know, in the, in the few social interactions that we've had over the last year, um, a lot of that has been with other small business owners or, or people that maybe are at, at an executive level position at a, a, maybe a larger company, but just figuring out like, how do you deal with these stresses with your employees or how do you deal with your overhead or are you applying for PPP or, or you know, an SBA right. loan, that sort of thing. Cause I, I, I'm a novice. I hate paperwork and I, and you know, I, I don't like accounting, you know, that's, that's not my, my specialty. I'm, I'm much better at buying, selling and looking at thing analysis and, and you know, or, or creativity, that sort of stuff but you know the paperwork side of things i truly hate yeah and as a business owner you end up doing it yeah so it's oh, trying to 100%. figure out how do you streamline this how do you streamline that and i'm a really big proponent of looking to other industries to solve deficiencies in in, in my current industry okay you know if, because thinking outside the box is in my mind a way that somebody eventually will make money you know there's risks involved with every decision that you make and, but some of them pan out and, and maybe that's the new paradigm. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I mean, I, I agree with even when we used to do the Founders Coffee Club is when you get to a certain point that you need help in your business, it doesn't matter that they're not in real estate or business is business. People are managing people or the same yeah. thing, HR, taxes. It's all, we all deal with the same thing. So are you, how are you seeking that? Are, do you, are you trying to find like a coach? Are you joining? Because I've been thinking, you know, I've, I've actually joined uh, like more or less of like a mastermind that there's a buy-in and it's created by business owners, right? So of different industries for the same purpose. So like, how are you tapping yeah, into I, that? Yeah, I, I haven't done anything that formal. Uh, when they were doing it, uh, what was, they used to have that, uh, was like 10,000 cups or whatever that they would do down at the library mm -hmm. where people would pitch their ideas to a, a room of potential investors. and Launch then, essay. Yeah, 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 through that. And I, I used to go to those on Wednesday mornings um, a buddy of mine was always pushing me to go, yeah. uh, you know, that sort of thing. I'm really hoping to get back more face-to-face -face kind of stuff. I don't really seek out a mentor. I'm really, I've never had a mentor. Right. What I've had is a million of people that like, like pinball that uh, I've bounced off of here or there. We've interacted and I've been able to pull great wealth of knowledge from individuals, right. you know, and kind of put that together to form, you know, my opinions or, or how I deal with things. Um, as far as doing something more formal, you know, I'm, I'm always open to it. I'm a little leery oftentimes of, of gurus and buy-ins and, and, and paying for education um, because, you know, there's, there's so much free education out there. Uh, yeah. And there are people that are, you know, all you got to do is ask. You just have the confidence to ask somebody, hey, man, I don't know this. I am a novice in this portion of my industry. What can you tell me about? Right. You know, and in my opinion... If you're not paying it forward a little bit or, or, or reaching down to pull up, you're kind of a dick. I, I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. Those, uh, I, and it's something that I've always tried to do. Not that I'm so much higher, but I'm definitely higher than anybody starting off. So anybody that's starting off, I'm always willing to help out because I mean, there's so many things I've learned that's like, well, you know, hopefully you don't have to go through. So, um, now with your health regarding your health, that's always a difficult area for a lot of business owners right our, our health always takes the backseat and uh, and and not even the backseat probably the trunk at times right and how were you able to you know go from i would imagine nothing to five days a week almost 90 yeah, percent of the time i like, mean i had worked out off and on but i wasn't consistent right. i wasn't getting consistent results uh when the pandemic started you know, like I, I have battles with depression, anxiety, things that mm -hmm. a lot of business owners or a lot of creative people do. And, you know, it, it just, I needed something that I could control. Right. And so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, but, you know, I just started scheduling things and, 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 you know, Hey, I'm scheduling it like a meeting and this meeting's important to me. So I started doing that. And then it was kind of just thinking about, other things that what what's important to me, you know, as, as the pandemic was happening, we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, so I started thinking about what's important. Well, my health is important. Doctor says I need to do this. I'm only sleeping four to five hours a night. I started sleeping in later and not and like I still feel guilty about, you know, I used to get up 530 every morning. I don't do that anymore. I, I sleep in a lot later. I'm a night owl. So I end up staying up later. Right. And so I sleep a little later. That has helped me go to about an average of seven hours of sleep. I feel infinitely better on top of, you know, any weight loss, muscle gain, anything like that. And maybe that's what helped me not get COVID throughout the, you know, the entire yeah. pandemic. I mean, obviously we, I followed the protocols, but you know, there was, there were studies done on, on obesity relative to catching the disease and the yeah. severity of it. Uh, um, 
And so uh, it was nice to to kind of be moving out of that that phase of my life and just saying, hey, look, the next 40 years, I've got to maintain this level of healthiness. Yes. You know, so, so you it, just like decided and execute. You didn't have like a trainer or accountability. I, so, or... I, mean, I, I, went, I go to a gym, uh, CrossFit gym. OK. And, you know, it, there is a uh, it's you know, it's group classes. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I have some pre-existing conditions, knee injuries and stuff like that. They always have bent over backwards to find a workaround. If I can't do, you know, back squats, then why don't we do this? That works the same muscles things or find a way that you can do a back squat, whether it, like, right. you know, things like that. And so that's been really great in keeping me going, uh, consistently because before you started building muscle or redefining muscle or anything, um, you know, you're getting sore constantly, you're getting discouraged, you, you can't do what you're seeing other people do, or maybe you have a physical impairment that, you know, doesn't allow you to do it and finding, you know, a coach or, or a, a trainer that says, no, we can work this same muscle. You're doing the same thing they are. You're doing it at your, your ability. Um, and I, that really helps you mentally start going, well, I can do this. Maybe I can improve. Maybe I can work up to that. You right. Know? And, it, and it's very different too with working out versus let's say doing working in business and everything, because working out, especially if you haven't done it in a long time consistently, it takes a while to see results. Right. Oh yeah. And, and that's where I think a lot of people get discouraged is that you're not seeing results right away. Right. Yeah. You're not seeing that six pack or the, the loss of weight. <laughs> Like it takes. Yeah. Well, like, shoot, I lost fifty pounds and I yeah. still got this belly on me. You oh, know? but you, you look know? tremendously better. I mean, yeah, it, but it's just yeah. like, man, I'm like, all right, you know, I've been at the same weight before and not had a belly, but you hit that thirty five mark. Yeah. And all of a sudden, your metabolism starts going down. I'm like, well, shoot, what do I gotta do to burn the belly fat, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's even more work consistency, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, but at the end of the day, it's you gotta be healthy. And physically and mentally, because as business owners, I mean, the amount of stress, the amount of things we do. And and I believe when you're a good person, there's a purpose for you to be in business and you owe it to the people you're doing business with to be the best that you can. Right. Because you're you're one of the few people out there that's actually can deliver real value and know that you're not screwing people over. Right. And so I think you do owe it to them to take care of yourself. Right. Even though it's yeah, hard. I mean, I have a hard time trusting a doctor that's overweight. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm I like, agree. You're, you're going to tell me my blood pressure is high and this and that. And then you're going to sit there like, Oh, cause your numbers are good. Somehow you're more healthy than I am. Yeah, you know? I exactly. Like, it's tough. So, but yeah, I think you do owe it uh, to yourself too. You don't have to have an amazing body. It's just get yourself to a healthy level where you can, continue to live if that's what you want to do you uh, know? <laughs> if that's what you want to do it's the alternative right all right man well i want to thank you and before we head out where can people find you maybe yep. reach out to you about somos what's the best yeah place? uh somosrealestate.com um you know you can reach out through through there uh you know our website's got all our contact information we're on facebook you can just google somos real estate we're not the one in uh barcelona <laughs> <laughs> um and you know, uh, social media, we're, we're on, uh, uh, Instagram. We have a pretty good presence on there. Um, we, we actually do get a lot of interaction there. Mm -hmm. So then that's just Instagrams, you know, slash, uh, Somos real estate. Uh, um, those are the best ways to get a hold of us. Uh, other stop by our office. We're in Tobin yes. Hill, right at, uh, Dewey and McCullough. Um, we should have our sign up hopefully this week. So nice. you'll, we'll, you'll actually be able to see it, but yeah, just reach out social media or reach out email up. 
Google my name. You'll, you'll be able you'll, to get it. You'll find them. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously all the links, everything to uh, Seth and Somos and everything is going to be below in the description. So with that being said, Seth, thank you very much for yeah. being on. Thanks I really for having appreciate me. Your time. Glad to be the first repeat. Yes, sir. <laughs> thank you. All right. Cheers. All right.